This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. The following episode is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. I'm Kathleen Griffith. I'm the founder and CEO of Grace & Co. What I love about content is it enables you to drive unparalleled intimacy in consumers' lives. Most female consumers don't want to be told anything. They want to have a conversation with you. And so this notion of that suggests an inequity in the relationship that suggests someone's superior to someone else. Um, and so I'm going to tell you what you should be doing or could be doing or why this is better, sell you in some way, as opposed to really kind of more of a more of a conversation than storytelling. From New York City, you're listening to Content Is Your Business, conversations with industry leaders and influencers covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling. Produced by Mouth Media Network, powered by Sennheiser, and brought to you by 24-7 Talent, the leading creative recruitment firm. Your hosts for this episode are Dahlia Strum, Lisa Berger, and Edward Hertzman. Thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate it. I think I'm personally fascinated with the fact that you're working with not only big brands, but also startups, and you're trying to find a way to figure out how they, they can work together and collaborate. At Grace & Co., we're a strategy agency. We focus on everything from intelligence to growth strategy to brand strategy to market activation, so the entire supply chain, basically. Um, and as part of that, even content strategy, kind of at the the, the tail end of things. Um, but one of the things I think we discovered after having done a ton of you know big brand work, w- working with some of the most iconic brands out there, Verizon, Vice, Complex, um, those kind of major players is that there's also a huge opportunity as we look at small brands, cult brands, emerging brands, and they are driving unparalleled access and intimacy in consumers' lives at an unprecedented rate. We're actually even seeing close to $20 million is going to be vacating the traditional big brand world into more of these startups over the course of the next few years. So Amazing. Des- decided to really kind of focus on that and think about how can we leverage what we're seeing those smaller cult brands, startup brands doing so well with consumers for our big brand clients? And inversely, how do we bring some of that big brand thinking across brand strategy, marketing strategy, content strategy to these smaller upstarts who could really benefit from some of that thinking as well? And so far, it's a formula that's working really well for us. Yeah. Do you have any examples that you could share of like a situation that has worked? Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the things that we uh, are really fascinated by is looking at startups like, I'll just use Glossier, for example. So they really focused, Emily Weiss, when she founded the company, was really focused on taking a look at you know, the female consumer first and building a content brand. So she started into the gloss, which was media first, content first, um, really looking at beauty aficionados and and bloggers and kind of what they want, need, desire. Um, and through that actually discovered some real product needs, the desire for natural products, the desire to be able to navigate through a very complicated ecosystem of uh, products and developed her line, which is now doing so incredibly well, which is 90% driven by word of mouth and only 10% digital marketing. They just raised close to $35 million. Um, So if we look at that as opposed to taking a product or service and then architecting content around it and trying to force fit into a consumer's life, uh, really looking at driving the content first and then figuring out what products and services need to be created out of that. So that's just one example of then the sort of thinking we would take back to a client to say, okay, how can we actually get back to the consumer? How can we develop some content, which is going to give us real-time learnings and insights around that next phase of product development and incubation and innovation that we should be driving. And then I guess on the flip side to that, what are you bringing back to the bigger brands from the smaller brands? Like I am sure so many of the larger brands like a L'Oreal or an SA could very much take what Emily has done and roll that into their own organization. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, L'Oreal is a great example 
Uh, Christina, who I work with, is ex-L'Oreal as well. Um, so, you know, and they hold close to 80% of the market at this sure. point. And upstarts like a mm-hmm. Glossier really kind mm-hmm. of coming and disrupting the space. Um, so one of the things that we've talked a lot about, and, and I'm not saying with L'Oreal in particular, but sure. just as you think about kind of bigger brands, um, is the proliferation of content and the volume of content that they need to be creating as well. So mm-hmm. really kind of thinking about, you know, how do I as a L'Oreal or a big brand really think about creating as much content as possible from a learning perspective, from an insight perspective. And I think also thinking about how do you look at what is coming out of those conversations to then fuel your new products. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and your product development, hair, for example, or beauty. I mean, this is such an intimate part of how women identify confidence and how they feel about themselves. Having, you know, hair that makes you feel great is in turn going to, you know, create a tremendous impact on what you also feel capable of doing that given day, as we all know, right? So, um, so actually just really going back to basics and going back to the consumer and it's, that seems so simple and easy, but I think, you know, in the work that we do, you can kind of lose sight, especially when you're managing these huge brand portfolios, you can kind of lose sight of who that everyday woman is uh, and what she really needs to feel satisfied. In the instance of uh, Emily Weiss, she was just on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine. I was I was reading that on a flight to Florida. And, you know, I'm fascinated with her business and what she's been able to do. But do you think, you know, when she started, basically it was a, a beauty blog, right. you know, out of her bedroom, um, do you think she started that with the intention of saying, hey, I'm going to have a, a product extension, you know, beauty products? Or was it she had so much data and insight from her customers that literally – like the article was saying, her customers are writing to her, I need this moisturizer, I need this sunscreen. And she's also been very savvy in dropping a product here and there, very limited runs, creating this demand. Um, you kind of can't recreate that if you're a multi-billion dollar company. You can't go back. You could create content, but will have the same type of authenticity that she has, you know, being a content first business? Yeah, I mean, it's such a great point. You've got to really look at, I think in terms of new products and innovation, it does need to come from a truly authentic place. And it truly has to be born out of like a legitimate need, want, desire. So I still, I'm a huge believer in the fact that big brands can listen for that. They can obviously develop and innovate out of that. So, um, but in terms of kind of driving, that being the means to drive your core business and these huge brand portfolios and franchises, you have likely not as realistic, right? So in that case, I think then you're thinking about it more on the media side of things. So how do you as a big brand think about creating a media or editorial platform that is behind the products and services that you have in market, which is really born out of um, again, having really kind of providing genuine utility for these women. And I think, you know, one of the brands we love is Sakara Life, which is uh, this incredible plant-based food um, delivery system um, founded by these two amazing women. And uh, one of the things that they do so well is they're creating editorial and kind of media content that is squarely around what women need. So they kind of have this pyramid, which is all about health and wellness and food. Um, but the content that they're pushing out is about the latest retreat or the latest, um, you know, Ayurvedic massage treatment you can get, all of these things that are really helpful for modern women without even pushing their product or service. Are they the brand as much as the product? And that's a huge part of it too. But I think also their perspective on editorial first, media first, product second is another thing that you know, brands can use where it may not necessarily be fueling their innovation pipeline or their new product pipeline a la a glossier, but it could actually be able to to provide some utility beyond just the product or service itself. But it, but either way, I think the notion of product service has to be secondary to providing more of the lifestyle and the content that these women want and need. Um, other things beyond the product or service is the has to be the orientation in this day and age. So being the only male uh, in the room right now, well. Well, that's oh, not Mark's true. here too. Um, but the only one on mic, the only one on mic. Um, 
So l- let me ask the question. Um, obviously, you 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 feel. Wait, that- but there's a reason for that, right? So why are you the only male on Mike, and and why is it so relevant for this part of the conversation? Well, I I can't answer that question. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know, but you know. No, no, no. But I'm during the this one. specific conversation. So <laughs> well, like- no, I I I well. My question really is, is obviously you felt there was a void in the marketplace and there's an opportunity uh, to create an agency focused specifically around women. And if looking at your resume, you've worked for almost every major uh, agency out there. So you know the nuts and bolts of what drives these organizations. Um, When you started this, you know, when you go to a Verizon or you go to someone like Complex, which is actually very male driven, Mm -hmm. um, what is it that they're missing? You know, what what is the opportunity here? You know, and I, I think you know sometimes conversations with clients start from a place of like deficit or feeling like there is, um, you know, that they're perhaps getting something wrong with female consumers. In a lot of cases, actually, it's it's general market brands that are really just looking to kind of future proof their offering and make sure that they're capturing as much of the female consumer segment as humanly possible because you know it's they're a huge driving force and we have close to 80% of women now saying they no longer trust brands and so they're just seeing it more as a business opportunity to kind of go further faster so in the line share of work that we do that's actually uh, more the conversation that we have, it tends to be with more like forward thinking, progressive leaders who are saying a lot of which are men, you know, men and women who are basically saying, we just want to capture women more completely here. And we feel like we need to speak to them in a different way. We need to have greater intimacy and um, access into their lives. And so that's that's kind of the starting point for the conversation, which I think is an interesting one because the expectation and the perception is either you got something wrong, so you need to go hire a specialist agency, or you don't know how to do it. You know, you don't but know how to market. Is there to a counter? Is there a counterpart to you? So if if I'm not saying Verizon, I'm just going to use right. that as a, someone on your roster. The same way you're maybe creating a, a, a campaign focused towards women, or maybe it's. For women to influence their men, right? Um, is there someone out there saying, "Hey, we're going to create the other fifty percent of this campaign targeted specifically at men"? Yeah, that's a great question. So, in some cases, you'll have a traditional, call it AOR relation, like the big agencies you were mentioning that I used to work for, and they'll do more of the general market creative campaign which targets men, which targets women. Um, And then we will come in more as a specialist agency to do a sub campaign that is only targeted to women, for example, to get, uh, you know, traditionally male oriented drink for female consumers to now be interested in something that has kind of a perception as of being only for men. Um, So it can work both ways. I think in a dream state, what we do just becomes general market advertising uh, and general market strategy. And the the need for an agency like us would actually just completely go away. And it's, there are a lot of agencies that do phenomenal work here um, that we're friends with, that we work with all the time and have really incredible strategists um, so we're just trying to kind of, I think, support the industry going further faster in this space because we all know also what a lot of creative and content looks like right now. And there's, we have a huge issue. I mean, we have a fundamentally flawed system where a lot of women are not part of the supply chain and are not part of the process creatively in production, whatever it may be. And as a result, you know, the creative misses the mark. It's either super empowerment focused, telling you what you can or should be, or it's utility focused, functionally focused, and it's, you know, better, faster, stronger, better. And there's an opportunity to have a different sort of conversation in between. Right. So it's kind of like going back to um, advertising isn't enough anymore. It's not storytelling, but how are you creating those one-to-one relationships since you intimacy keeps coming up? When women crave that intimate conversation. Girlfriend, really. Right. It's a girlfriend. I, you know, it's funny because <clears throat> a number of years ago we were, and I'm involved in Can Lion and See It Be It and um, the creative committee there. And it was so interesting because storytelling was like We've all heard it, the buzzword over and over. And I, I think there's something, you know, as you think about telling, most female consumers don't want to be told anything. They want to have a conversation with you. And so this notion of 
that suggests an inequity in the relationship that suggests someone's superior to mm-hmm. someone else. Um, and so I'm going to tell you what you should be doing or could be doing or why this is better, sell you in some way, as opposed to really kind of, yeah, to your point, driving that proximity, intimacy, story, um, more of a more of a conversation than right. storytelling. Yeah. Personally, exactly. I love that you're going in this direction. I think there's such a need for it. But what motivated it? So the motivation was, um, you know, again, after working for a lot of really incredible agencies, this just happens to be a huge passion of mine. The female consumer is a huge passion of mine as you sit in these focus groups and you listen to these women. Um, you know, you hear a lot of things. You hear about how they want to be sexy but not sexualized. You hear about they want to talk about health, but they're also really struggling to stay healthy. You hear that they are less optimistic about the future of our country and actually, um, you know, seeing a lot of things that they're really displeased with, but also doubling down on themselves and their friends and feeling more optimism and positivity than ever before. Um, You know, you're just hearing so many interesting paradoxes and kind of dichotomies that um, I I just felt like there was kind of a huge opportunity to speak to in a more nuanced way. Um, And then a huge reason was I've had the tremendous benefit of working with you know, amazing women and and men alike who just want to do more in our industry to create positive messaging. Um, and so really wanted to go and create a culture of incredible women and men who I could kind of learn from and wanted to work with. Uh, and so culture was incredibly important. Um, you know, really wanting to kind of go create something. Sure. Um, can you talk to us about the culture of your agency? Yeah, we... <laughs> Ta- Taco Tuesdays? We laugh because I think at least initially when the agency was starting, the level of fixation around culture was almost... <laughs> like we almost over-rotated on culture in the sense that we were we spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about it, obsessing about it, what it could be which I think is a really incredible, you know, thing and kind of what this agency could look and feel like. So um, starting Monday mornings, getting together, state of the world, just what we're seeing and feeling with coffee. Um, What are we observing? Who's doing really interesting stuff in art and culture and food and um, wellness? And so having just broader conversations that have nothing to do with the work that we do, but actually setting the tone and kind of doing it that way. Um, thinking about quarterly goal setting and personal and professional risks we each want to take and how we can support each other in that. Um, we have had cultural outings on a near monthly basis where we go to, um, you know, art exhibits and Georgia O'Keeffe and uh, incredible food restaurants. (laughs) Food has come up a lot. And going back to Eddie's point of Taco Tuesdays, clearly pizza is in the mix. This this show right now, they're going to want more, uh, you know. Everything revolves around food. Everything. Yeah. It's uh, the the millennials. All they want is uh, half summer Fridays, uh, sangria, Taco Tuesdays, laundry, (laughs) yoga. They don't want to work. So on that note, it's snack time. (laughs) Um, So snack time to us is really about like breaking bread with our guests. And wow, you have really um, impressed us by bringing in these amazing pizzas with truffle oil. (laughs) So everyone that I work with knows that I don't have a cooking bone in my body. Um, And Christina Dronley, who I work with, is like the most amazing chef and cook, so is constantly reminding you of like (laughs) your deficits from, you know, a basic like food sustenance perspective. Um, Yeah, so I'm very familiar with takeout, going out to eat. I think I go out to eat uh, every single night of the week which is, I don't know what that says. I don't know how you were able to stay as thin as you are, but it's amazing. It's not a good thing. Um, So yeah, obsessed with food and restaurants in the city. Um, And this pizza, so a few years ago, I was actually deciding to go out on my own, um, naturally kind of trepidatious about that. My career was like going well and things were good. I know, I want to talk about that. And so um, actually had dinner with my brother. I said, you know, it was one of those long days where you're like, 
completely falling apart at the seams and physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted and running on fumes. And I, I go to pizza when I'm feeling that way. And so um, my little brother, who's really more of a big brother mentor, said, yeah, let's go grab pizza. We went to this place and it's called Shroom Town. It's all mushrooms with truffle oil. It's so incredible. Um, and we were talking about, I'd heard this quote where this woman said, you know, if you're this successful doing Tamara Keeves, if you're this, she went to Harvard, really brilliant woman. And she said, if you're this successful doing what you don't love, imagine how successful you could be if you did what you loved. Oh, I love that and, so much. Yeah. So we talked about that. Do you have that framed in your office? I should. Yeah. yeah, I really should. But I go back to that as a touchstone because I think when you do what you love and what lights you up, eventually it clicks and eventually it makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, we broke bread over pizza and that was the night I decided to start Grace & Co. And uh, I decided – you know, needed to get a first client before I left, which is really difficult to do when you're working, when you're working 80 right. hour yeah. weeks or <laughs> exactly. whatever, yeah. um, but made it my mission during that dinner to do that. So that's it. I hope you guys well, love it. Yeah, and we get to experience this. Yeah. Awesome. And then Thank kind you. of on that note, while we're, uh, while we're setting pizza up, I would love to hear what Grace and Co means to you. Because there's an actual meaning behind the name. Yeah. So Grace uh, was my grandmother. She lived to be – the family is in dispute whether it was 99 or 103. Uh. So <laughs> we could probably figure this out. I think she lied about her age for a while. Um, <laughs> but she was a one-room school teacher in Regina, Saskatchewan, so the prairies of Canada. She taught grades K through 12. She had five kids herself. Uh, and was just, you know, constantly wrangling people and kind of a a force of nature in the community. So wanted to channel some of that. And then the women that I work with have incredible, you know, they come from these incredible lines of really ferociously strong women. Um, And so it's, she is a representative of all the women that have kind of come before us um, and the gifts that they've given us and you know, a a reminder to kind of always keep that top of mind as we go through the world. Amazing. That's so, it's so uh, heartwarming. We'll be back more with uh, information as to what you're kind of looking at in terms of this space. And then we'll also give you um, real feedback on how amazing this pizza is. (laughs) So we'll be right back. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener of Content Is Your Business, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MouthMediaSen, that's MouthMedia, S-E-N-N, at checkout. Talent connects top brands and agencies with exceptional creative, marketing, and digital talent every day. Whether you're looking for the right position or to hire the very best talent, 24-7 boasts more than 500,000 vetted and interviewed freelance and full-time candidates. Experience the difference at 247talent.com. That's 24-S-E-V-E-N-Talent.com. Your perspective in regards to how you can support women has been amazing. Um, And you're working on an initiative with Entrepreneur Magazine. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that and like how intrinsic it looks? Yeah. So, you know, I think in – in the course of doing the business that we do, one of the one of the things that we ended up seeing is a huge opportunity. Uh, and I do a lot in the VC community and with early stage growth companies, obviously as well. Uh, many of which can afford to bring an agency on and and engage agency services. There are then also a whole host of female founders who are incredibly talented, but not in a position where they can necessarily do that. And so. What we decided to do is basically take our agency services and completely democratize them. So give everything to a female founder, female small business owner that we would bring to a big brand client 
from a uh, intelligence standpoint, growth standpoint, marketing standpoint, uh, project management standpoint, all of this kind of culminates in a brand playbook and a business plan. And so it's all available online. The program is going to be called Build Like a Woman. You can go to buildlikeawoman.com and uh, essentially participate online, uh, again, all completely digital. And then there will be a live event as well in 2018, which will bring female founders together. And and one of the things that's just been so incredible, um, and a lot of this has been driven in large part by Christina Dronley, who I work with and was in part kind of her brainchild. Um, But we've just been able to get incredible female founders attached to this program of really incredible brands who wish they'd had something like this when they were starting out. So we've got Y7, which is an incredible yoga studio. Hip-hop yoga. uh, Hip-hop yoga going nationwide. A Day, which is a great clothing company. Elevate, which is Sally Krawcheck. And she's doing a lot in the financial sector for women. Laurel and Wolf, the incredible interior design company. They're blowing up. They're doing so well. The list goes on and on. And so all these female founders have also kind of come together and said, you know, how can we support uh, and and are participating in the program as well and to in different capacities. So we've got, you know, both female founders that have been already incredibly successful. And then we'll have female founders that we know are going to be successful and are just starting out uh, and, and helping them kind of get on their feet and get on their way so that they can ultimately scale and succeed. Our goal is to have 10,000 new ideas in market by the year 2020, because we know that women have the power to change markets and, um, you know, create incredible companies and brands and foundations that in turn, you know, affect and change other people's lives. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a huge initiative. It's got huge ambition, attached to it. But um, we're really excited because I think this is the inverse of the brand marketing strategy that we do, brand positioning, target identification, marketing, digital marketing, what channels to use, strategic partnerships, PR, project management, business planning, the list goes on and on. But part of what makes you know, these big brands so successful is they're constantly going through the throes of repositioning themselves to differentiate, to have a competitive point of difference in market. And this is an exercise that they're constantly going through. So we literally are bringing exactly what we bring to these clients, all in the form of, you know, a accessible package for female small business it's owners. incredible and such a void in the market. So um, brava to you. Thank you. It, yeah. Is there um, an application program and are you vetting um, the brands that are coming to the table and are they all going through the same process or are they all at different points within depending on their funding, et cetera. Yeah. So we uh, wanted to bring everyone who's basically our goal is to get you to seven figures or beyond uh, so that you're then in a position where you can raise capital. So this Mm -hmm. is pre-seed, usually pre-capital. And we decided we had a lot of kind of internal debate um, within the agency around whether we should have an application process Mm -hmm. and evaluate ideas or not. And ultimately, we decided that it's not for us to evaluate what has potential, what is going to succeed or or not. Uh, we really just wanted to support any woman that believes she has something to bring to bear and believes she has an incredible, powerful idea. Uh, she could already, um, you know, it could just be an idea at this point. It could be a side hustle or it could be something that she's actively in the trenches pursuing on a daily basis and may even have a small team behind her. Um, so if she believes in her idea, we believe in her. Amazing. You don't think there's any merit to the Shark Tank approach where you kind (laughs) of speak the truth and tell people that maybe they look at something incorrectly or they don't understand uh, how to monetize or it's a new segment that they are not familiar with, you know? Yeah. I I mean, at some point, I think maybe when we're further along in our evolution, there will be you know, a lot of people have even asked for pitching. So how do you actually put pitch materials together and raise capital or evaluate whether an idea has market fit or not, um, whether the monetization strategy is a good monetization strategy or not? I think at some point getting there would certainly be interesting. Um, but, you know, but at, at another point in time. So, so you made a comment earlier in the segment about uh, $20 billion shifting from 
I guess, traditional companies to these, I call them all long tail players. It's the aggregate value of all these smaller guys out there, or I should say gals yeah. in this segment, yeah. um, that are making up this, this $20 billion in the next few years. And right now through social media, I mean, literally we're seeing people as crazy of like a bikini a day. I mean, I actually think that was a blog. And the girl posts a picture of herself in a bikini every single day. And now she has a bikini line and a clothing line and she's making a lot of money. I mean, that is eating into, right. you know, someone's, someone's you know, retail uh, uh, revenue. Victoria's Secret, right? Well, mm-hmm. Right. So, so mm-hmm. the question though is how sustainable is that really? I mean... Can you really create a long-term business model after posting a, a posting a picture of yourself coming out of the gym and soliciting, you know, protein shakes or, you know, is social media, social commerce a real thing in the future? Or, you know, how many of these startup brands you're talking about, okay, you know, everyone's got an idea and a dream today, but is it, it can they scale? Yeah. I mean, I think the beautiful thing now is like from an e-commerce, you look at Warby Parker, you look at... Um, you know, so many e-commerce models, and that's what we're we're now in the throes of being able to actually create a business online and leverage the power of social and digital to be. But able a lot to- of them are not. See, there's a lot of myths behind this. A lot of them are overfunded. They lose a lot of money. They glo- You know, they they grace the covers of all these magazines yeah. and are champion as these great entrepreneurs. But behind closed doors, they're bleeding money. Yeah, and we know that those stories, right? You're in the red. You're doing. 30 days of unlimited free classes. Oh, right? no, I did $300 million, but I, I spent $400 million in consumer acquisition. And yeah. now I got to raise again. Yeah. And I got to raise again. Yeah. And I got to raise again. And there's a bubble, right? And we know, like, generally speaking, I think the bubble is going to burst. And and it's just ultimately who's going to win is like who's delivering something that is superlative value and you're exceeding expectations and all of those things. I mean, I think it's not it's not something that everyone can do just out of their garage, you know, and and, you know, maybe you do one round or you do two rounds, but then ultimately you're going to succeed or fail on the merit of the product or service you have and your ability to kind of get behind it. But I think there are bright lights. You know, we look at like an outdoor voices, for example, I think that's such a, you know, great recent example. It's 800% growth last year. Mickey Drexler is now coming on board. That just started as like, we're going to be a retail hub with kind of bringing people together. We've got a lot of energy around, you know, a well life, not necessarily fitness. It's not competitive. It's um, all about, you know, bringing community together and providing utility around that. And, you know, I think they do an incredible job with lectures and dog walks, you know, together and um, free merch and all of that stuff and have kind of limited their retail footprint. So they're not overextended there. You know, that's a brand I think we could really see sustaining, Absolutely. you know, a competitive position against an Adidas or a Under Armour or what have you. And oh, look like a Shoes of Prey just opened up their first store downtown. Exactly. Yeah. So I oh, think I'm sorry, all birds, all birds. Yeah. They're, they're going to be those bright, they're going to be those bright lights. Um, but the market speaks. Right. So, I mean, do you think in general raising money is, I mean, there's a, m- multiple schools of thought on this, but you think the answer is, is to raise money? Would you tell all these entrepreneurs that's the best road to go down or, you know, I personally think you, you you keep as much equity and you run it with as much of your own cash and lines of credit, whatever you can do with. I think diluting and overexposing yourself is not the answer, but it seems that we're in this kind of moment right now where everyone's goal is to get VCs to just dump money into your company. And I think that that's not necessarily the best strategy. It may be glamorized in in magazines, but what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I could not agree more. And we we work with VCs. We've actually had a ton of conversations with pretty much every leading VC also around the build like a woman program too, just given all the conversation around like female funding and really, okay, if we want to support these female founders, founders and get behind them beyond just giving them money what does that look and feel like with actually like transferable skills and business plans and let's actually give them support as opposed to just continuing to have these kind of circular conversations or throw money at the problem which may or may not help um but no i think you're exactly right i think you know so many we see the same cast of characters kind of being rotated through these publications which also one, it creates a false perception that it's easy to do and, you know, there are more 
female founders out there, also I'm just speaking more specifically around female founders, they're only 16% female founders of companies at this moment in time. That's like the same as sports announcers, female janitors. <laughs> and, you know, so there aren't a whole lot, but you kind of get the perception that there are because they're rotating through the right. same circuits. Um, and I think the, the, you know, those that really have kind of inflated funding too, you scale your team quickly, you overinvest in people and resources, digital marketing, all of these things that aren't necessarily as effective as going a little bit slower, maintaining equity to your point, investing in word of mouth, you know, investing in content. And when I say investing, I mean more energy than right. money. Um, and really kind of building a brand, um, that takes time. So I think just kind of throwing money at, and then you're in channels like DRTV and all of these super expensive channels, uh, it's it's not necessarily a good long-term strategy. So they go through the process of built like a woman and um, let's say they hit some build, major- Build, build. Build like a woman. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sorry, so they go through the process of build like a woman. They hit some version of a measure of success. When do they circle back and say, I want to work with you? They would, uh, financially speaking. I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. So for us in particular, the idea here was just to kind of give them these tools. They can scale their business. And then eventually, if and when it makes sense to raise capital and they're funded, they could then hire an agency like us or another agency. This was, um, you know, not really born out of a business development opportunity for us because it would take probably quite some time for them to be in a position to yeah. hire us as an agency. Sure. Um, but but that was kind of the general thinking was this is kind of this is for you before you're able to hire an agency if and when that even makes sense. And I think to the earlier point in conversation, that should be kind of far down the line when you actually have real traction in market, you've launched a product, you have a really engaged consumer base, and you're looking to do general brand awareness marketing, brand marketing. Well, you can't also um, forget, though, that, you know, or neglect the fact that you're building an amazing pipeline. Like yeah. it or not, I mean, yeah. that not being the sole purpose of the of the endeavor, I mean, you are creating an amazing pipeline. Yeah. Um, not only for your agency, but other other agencies, because you're bringing people to market that maybe wouldn't have had a, right. an right. opportunity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think that it's important that we talk about the more personal side of things okay. and learn a little bit more about you. Great. You can follow us on social media at Content Biz Show. That's Content B-I-Z Show. And episodes are available on our website, contentisyourbusiness.com, and wherever the best podcasts are found. You can also check out all of the other Mouth Media Network shows at mouthmedianetwork.com. we had a conversation before about Can Lions and how it's a little bit personal to you. Um, can you tell us what you're working on with them? What is what is the next couple of months look like? Yeah, so um, in our industry, Can Lion is you know marketing and advertising. It's a huge awards festival now all around the world, and uh, everyone kind of clamors and fixates and goes crazy to win awards. Um, but one of the things that's really nice is that. The festival itself, in addition to, you know, being a great kind of marker for what's successful and what's not, is incredibly committed to advancing um, advancing the quality of the work and the throughput and, and supporting female creatives in being part of that process, driving that process, heralding that process. And so a number of years ago, Can Lion established a program called See It, Be It. So the notion is if you can see it, you can be it in order to bring the most talented female creative directors from around the world. It's a program of about 20 women who are high potential, high performing setting the market, setting the game in terms of what creative campaigns should look like and have really kind of ferocious ambitions around what can be done. And so we bring them together. It's a week of unparalleled access. They gain 
access to mentors. So meet Sheryl Sandberg and Sarah Jessica Parker and Rob Lowe and, you know, Helen Mirren, just incredible kind of luminaries as well as in our industry as well. So agency side, media side, just the convergence of all these different areas, the entire community really embraces them uh, and helps them kind of figure out what they need to do both personally and professionally to unlock themselves to get to the next stage of success. And um, it's just incredible to see what these women then go on to do. They're starting speaker series. They're bringing this content back to their agencies all around the world. They're creating campaigns that then go on to win at at Cannes. They're starting nonprofits. They're becoming judges. So they're then in a position of influence. Uh, And it's just, it's really incredible in a few short years to kind of see what the industry has been able to accomplish. So I'm involved in on the executive committee. Our agency is involved more generally. Uh, We had a really fun year this year. We brought Bacardi over and they did a workshop with the women as well. So uh, it's just, it's, it's a really incredible initiative. And I think just demonstrates the power that the industry is also behind driving change and and you know doing some tangible things to actually make that happen. Uh, that there are actual programs in place that are creating change. So we went from three percent female creative directors to now close to eleven percent, wow. yeah, and those amazing. numbers are growing. <clears throat> right, which yeah. is when you look at this quantitatively mm-hmm. and objectively, you're like, okay, stuff's happening here. This is a good thing. Even here in New York, I mean, I, I can't think of one creative director that I know that I have ever encountered that is a woman. Right. So, right. Um, and that's across all of the advertising conglomerates. Right. Yeah. And even and you independence. Have access and to so many exactly. people. Yeah. 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 So you, and you probably, yeah, you meet everyone, you see everyone. Exactly. Um, so it's really, and, and that's part of the issue too, to your point, there are a lot of women that kind of start off. And then mm-hmm. by the time you get to a creative director or an ECD level, they're falling out of the pipeline. Right. They're mm-hmm. not necessarily as networked. Their portfolios mm-hmm. aren't as, um, robust sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's an issue, but we know, again, going back to female consumers, you have to be it to yeah, deliver exactly. it. So well, I think it's the best when you have like a brand like J&J is maybe developing a campaign for a woman that's having a baby and it, there's a man behind it. And he knows exactly what that process uh, right, is exactly. like. So you know, totally I mean, well, <laughs> it's just, it doesn't make sense. And yep. so the fact that there's such still a void in the creative marketplace, like yeah. uh, for creative direction, brand strategy, yeah. it's it's still mind-blowing It's building the to emotional me. connection yeah. too, right? You yep. want to feel an emotional connection to any of that content. Yeah. And I don't know that they're necessarily, because they've never experienced it, unfortunately, they can't. They can't create it. So, well, and to that point, you know, you look at, we were just talking to Procter and Gamble not too long ago, and they're doing, you know, thanks to Mark Pritchard, they're doing incredible mm-hmm. things to just look at the entire supply chain mm-hmm. and think about diversity, whether it be women or, you know, a whole host of other contingencies, just making sure that at every conceivable level, producers, directors, creatives, mm-hmm. uh, you know, strategists, you name it, you have just diversity represented. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there are a lot of brands that also just see tremendous potential around it or really getting behind it. And they're starting to now mandate that from their agencies. And it's once we start to see that mandated, we're really going to see more and more change because then people are going to be responding to RFPs in a different way and responding to agency reviews in a different way where they're going to be you know, forced to drive change. So to flip it a little bit, so if, if we – if agencies like yourself are able to create campaigns and content that resonates with, with the female and that improves, you know, sell through and whatnot. But then what about the male audience out there? Because it's very hard to, to siphon and say, okay, this ad is not only going to be for women, but only seen by women. So now you have the male audience looking at the same content, the same creative, the same advertising, and maybe they don't feel an emotional connection to that. Maybe they're turned off by it or they don't understand it. So What's 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 the answer to that, or what's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a gr- it's such a good question because <laughs> it's something that we're constantly kind of dancing between. If if you are if you are focused on a target segment, you need to serve your primary target more than anyone else. And if your primary target, from a business opportunity standpoint, is a woman you're going to be speaking to her in a different way and potentially not necessarily alienating, but it's not going to resonate maybe with more of kind of, um, 
I'm sure, know, like into a, the gloss, a, a broader has a, community. A, a, the majority of the of the readers are probably female, but right. if you're the Huffington Post or a, you know a NBC TV show in prime time, it's going to be a largely. 50-50, you know, give or take 10% deviation. Yeah. Male-female split. Yeah. And I, I think also like the masculine, there are masculine attributes and they're more feminine attributes of what a brand can represent and how it can engage with a consumer. That's not necessarily male-female, right? That's just like, what are you, are you leading with? empathy and collaboration and inclusivity? Are you leading with more masculine attributes? So it's just how you orient. And um, I think what a brand stands for, a car company may, for example, orient in a more masculine performance sense, which is okay, if that's what the brand is about. It's just, yeah, I think it's more of a question of orientation. So as we get a little bit more personal, um, I'd love to know who inspires you. Like what was what was the inspirational point when you were like, I could do this on my own. This is the person that is helping me drive this. I am uh, I am so I draw so much inspiration from other people. So um, and that I, I think really comes from we do a lot with we do a lot of workshopping. We do a lot of meeting other young women and men alike and kind of just listening to what's going on, you know, in the industry. What do people want, need, desire and kind of looking to them in service of how do we serve them? Um, Because I think, again, if it's more, I certainly don't have all the answers. I don't look at this as I'm like a visionary and let me now bring people along. I really look at there's just an opportunity here and how can we kind of be of service and support. Um, That being said, I think identifying women who or men or whomever it may be, who have gone on to do incredible things, just surrounding yourself with kind of extraordinary people. Someone said, you know, you are the compilation of the five people closest to you. And so really just kind of looking at who do you associate yourself with and how you're lucky today. Yeah. I'm so lucky. I've got like eight amazing people around me. Um, And how can they help you just up your game? There's a saying, you know, what would you do if you weren't afraid? I, that's a touchstone for me. Uh, There's a saying, um, the, person you become will catch you. So I'm a big believer in like you just free fall fall, and then you're going to step into whatever you need to do to catch yourself eventually. That's great. I like all the platitudes. I, I mean, we could go platitude for yeah. platitude yeah. here right now. I got a lot of one-liners. Yeah, well, there's, well <laughs> give me some. We had a past guest on the show that um, had some stats around the future being female. What do you think? The future is... Uh, the future is about seeing, you know, I think all groups represented as they exist in the world. All voices, all opinions, all perspectives represented as what they are in the world. And we need more of that across the board. Well said. Eddie, very, what do you have to say to that? Yeah. <laughs> That's a very political response. <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe a future congresswoman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hillary. <laughs> the Blasio needs some competition. And, you know. Anyway, I got to be careful what I say. We're, 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 it's being recorded. Um, so I have a question. You know, let, let's say I didn't know that, you know, you were a female-focused agency. We um, met at a networking event, and I was very impressed with your, you know, your what you had to say about, about the space. And I said, hey, I have a men's shoe brand would you work with me targeting men targeting men no very interesting we've it's it's really tough i mean you you need to at a certain point start putting your money where your mouth is and we've had to turn down some really big brands and big contracts that uh, were really painful at the time. It was kind of a seminal moment where you're like, am I in this or not? But I think if you're going to truly be a specialist agency and that's what you want to focus on, you also need to live into that. Um, no, I think it, I, or else you do general. I, I mean, we we love doing general market work for brands that have female and male consumers, both. But if it was just male oriented, yeah, we'd have to politely decline, unfortunately. But I also think but that wish there's... You well. There's what also about something a hundred million dollar retainer? Yeah. No, but there's something been to be said about the fact that like <laughs> they're specializing for fe- for women, yeah. right? So like they might not necessarily know the intricacies on how to reach that demo. So I think there's something to be said about that too. 
All right. So no, I, I respect that you got to draw the line in the stand and, and, and sand and, and stand for something. I think that's important in any business over, over distribution or over, you know, people having too many product, you know, verticals that, you know, the famous, when Kleenex created toilet paper, you send your friend to the store or spouse to the store and they come back with, you know, tissue paper when you want a toilet paper. So they got rid of that and started cotton out. But anyway, that's in the famous book, Positioning. Um, <laughs> So what about how much do you rely on male input in creating the female campaigns? Good question. Yeah, we uh, talk a lot about that. So um, most of a lot of our clients are men uh, and we work with. So we kind of look at who's around the table ultimately and are do we have kind of proper representation all the way through. So uh, we're a majoritarily female team. A lot of people we work with are men and when it all comes – and not just men, you know, we're talking male, female, but like diversity of like color, creed, race, everything. The idea and the intention is when you kind of pull all that together, you've got solid representation across the board because diversity of thinking just produces better results. Um, but from a strategy standpoint, it's, you know, we're female first – uh, so the strategies that are created are driven by female strategists. So stories typically end with a final thought. Um, if you were to take a moment and reflect on this conversation today, what kind of feedback or perspective would you be able to offer our audience? Content is something that we talk a lot about as just, you know, it's a buzzword. What is it? What is it not? I think it. it if we think about it more practically and on human terms, it's just an opportunity to really create an amazing relationship with someone and thinking about it in terms of service and what can I give as opposed to how can I convince someone to buy or to want. And so I think if we all just continue to kind of orient from that perspective of, of putting that other person first and thinking about what you can do or give or be just like any good relationship, everyone wins in that equation. Exactly. I think that's I great. I have said it better. Yeah. <clears throat> so if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to reach you? Email, Instagram, social media, LinkedIn? Yes. <laughs> LinkedIn. Uh, of course, Kathleen Griffith on LinkedIn. Grace Co. is our social handle. www.graceco.com is our agency website. And then if you are a female founder looking to engage with other female founders, grow, scale your business, you can find us at www.buildlikeawoman.com. Great. Thanks so much for being a part of Thank this. Thank you, this guys. Really Thanks fantastic. for having me. This was a lot of fun. More pizza now. <laughs> <laughs> So thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate you being a part of this. And we look forward to hearing your story next time. You've been listening to Content Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show or to become a sponsor, email us at contentshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Content Biz Show. That's Content B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, contentisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network and brought to you by 24-7 Talent. Connect with the best talent at 247talent.com. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.